What's the difference between a regular walk and a hot girl walk? So Tell a us. regular walk is wearing like regular boring clothes. A hot girl walk is when you have on your leggings. Ooh. That's what makes it hot. Everyone in Amherst is going to be like, oh my God, she's on her hot girl walk. She's got her leggings on. I feel like your hot girl walk is like your attitude. You know, mm-hmm. like, are you romanticizing you all of the small things that are passing you by? You walk by and <laughs> think everyone's in love with you. Wait, is life. a hot girl walk a state of mind and not an activity? We're unlocking something. That's exactly so. what it is. Yeah. Hey, tired SLP, I know just what you It's time for coffee, tea, and three SLPs. Kate sent us an email. Listener Kate. Um, this was a while ago. This was actually at the end of the spring or beginning of the summer. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to shout out Kate because she sent us this really cool therapy resource And it's related to inferencing Mm -hmm. and it's called once upon a picture.co.uk. We'll put the link in the, the show notes, but she uses their inference collection and there are a bunch of different pictures here that have a lot of parts to them. And just looking through them now, they're really beautiful. They're gorgeous. Yeah. Oh my God. They're they're so so beautiful and Mm -hmm. she says it sort of reminds me of the new york times what's going on in this picture but Mm -hmm. it's ai generated cartoon pictures and she says she's used it with upper elementary and her high school students so thank you so much kate for sending this to us i did not know about this did you too i did it until she emailed it to us and i immediately saved it but it's so fun because the pictures are just gorgeous and fun to look at and you know, the situations aren't just people. Like, I really like the mouse picture. The bedtime story mouse picture is so cute. And yeah, I really like it. It's definitely worth checking out. Especially, it's nice because um, it has a different style than other speech therapy materials you might see. So could just be a way to switch things up in your materials. What are we talking about this week, Gorlies? <laughs> Talk Pope about of practice. Ooh, Pope of. So... How'd you say that so fast? Well, because I had actually practiced this before you logged in. Oh, I... <laughs> a rehearsal. Spent... Oh, excellent. <laughs> Pope. I spent ten o'clock to ten thirty today pa- practicing Pope saying practice. <laughs> that I was ready like, oh how did she just how did she just do that oh pope of practice um what is our pope yeah. what are we supposed to scrap this but yeah this is a good one because i i have really been struggling with this um because i think this year what i'm learning is that we have 
you know, we can really help people, but there is still a limit to what speech therapy can do for somebody. So for example, you know, I'm trying to find out ways to explain that to some of my students, parents, because, you know, some of my students, we get to the point where they have the language skills, um, but there's still something else holding them back from applying those language skills, especially if it's social language. And sometimes it's because of an anxiety diagnosis or a depression diagnosis. So kind of explaining like, you know, social language, language is just it's still just one piece of the student's profile. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to struggle with how far we can go to support a student. I think it also heavily depends on the resources that your school has. Mm. Because if your school doesn't have particular staff or resources, a lot of times it might fall on us. And things that are in a gray area of our scope, for example, reading, which I know mm-hmm. Brittany has a lot of thoughts on, um, <laughs> but you know, my school has reading interventionists and that's their whole job is to help kids learn to read in small groups and identify who needs more reading help and you know, I'm not a part of that process. And we have social workers. Some schools don't have like social workers in psych. So then, and they're the people who in my school work on more social language um, and interaction skills. So I don't really do any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can see that if your school didn't have those people, then that would fall on you in addition to the language and articulation. And of course, everything is intertwined, so it makes sense Mm -hmm. if it falls onto our caseload, but that's a lot of work. That's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff to know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about one time when we didn't have um, a role at my school to help with mediation and processing, especially between students, like if students were having a conflict, if one of those students was on my caseload, I would be asked to help with this because it'd be a social language thing I'd be like I I don't know how to mediate this (laughs) and then I'd be like man maybe I just don't have good enough skills as a speech therapist but then the more I talked to my coworker, the more I talked to you guys and thought about it I was like wait a minute I'm not supposed to be mediating conflict I don't know how to do that I know like how to teach indirect language and nonverbal cues and social language but I don't know how to actually like resolve conflict between people that is not not me not something I ever wanted to do somebody else wants to do that it's not me (laughs) so it gets yeah right it gets tricky if you don't have someone where you work to support that then yeah it can I think it can easily be justified that it should be your scope Yeah, because so many things impact communication and vice versa. Communication impacts so many things. Like we don't communicate or use language in some silo that's unrelated Mm -hmm. to 
conflict resolution or unrelated to social skills or unrelated to Mm -hmm. reading and writing. But at the same time, we can't be expected to be knowledgeable about everything that communication impacts, Mm -hmm. right? Like we are communication people. We're not conflict mediators and Mm -hmm. we're not, you know, the edges of our practice. It, It just gets really blurry. Um, Mm -hmm. because everything impacts everything. We're not mental health specialists, but we Mm -hmm. know how anxiety can impact language, such as I remember, Julie, you giving this great example last season about word retrieval and how a kid's um, anxiety can really impact Mm -hmm. their word retrieval. And then it looks like a language Mm -hmm. difficulty, but maybe the root of it is their anxiety. So it's really, really hard. Right. Actually, yeah, I think um, I just had this thought while you were saying that, Brittany, is, you know, when you say, oh, there was a miscommunication, like, oh, these students are fighting because of this miscommunication, like this student misunderstood the other, then I don't, it's hard because I feel like when we think about communication and how it's used, it feels like it's not just language obviously like there are emotional things happening like you said so I feel like when parents hear oh there was a miscommunication or there was some breakdown in communication well the some of the parents at my school would be like well can the speech therapist work on this can they work on this in speech and then sometimes somewhere somebody will be like oh yeah that would be a great thing for them to work on in speech and then I'm like I don't know how to work on this in speech because <laughs> this miscommunication wasn't because of their language difference like maybe they had a difference in opinion and it wasn't a miscommunication when one called the other one a jackass like they really meant it (laughs) um (laughs) it's like very and I'm like I don't know like uh you know you had the language you had your intent and you communicated your message the way you wanted to. So I feel like that's where that's where I have to stop because um, I don't know how to ha- handle the next step of, oh, you hurt somebody's feelings or they hurt your feelings. I feel like that's where I'm like, ah. Yeah, and that's what teachers are really good at. I think partly mm-hmm. because um, they know their kids really well. And so they often have more context for those quote unquote mm-hmm. miscommunications than we do. Um, mm-hmm. But also I feel like they just do this so much more often because they're dealing with bigger groups of kids where more conflicts are going to arise. So I feel like when we're pulled into those situations, mm-hmm. I think it's good for us to be there for some of these conversations, but we, we cannot be alone and we cannot be the source of Mm -hmm. the, the big choice for what happens next. Like we can Mm -hmm. give context or give recommendations or maybe help the child's communicate if they are having trouble thinking of the, you know, swear word they want to call their friend, (laughs) but we're like, Oh, (laughs) this is very functional. Jackass. 
Um, I mean, it kind of <laughs> is like, you know, that's why I think I'm like, okay, you had vocabulary, you used it correctly. It wasn't the correct context. Like, yeah, it's not nice, but language wise, I guess, is our objective to make sure our students act nice with their language or is it just that they have these language skills and are using them to access their environment? Right. It's like, isn't that such a weird line? Yeah. It's related to that idea of giving AAC users swear Mm. words that would be Mm -hmm. developmentally appropriate if they're a preteen teen, um, which I'm in favor of, but I also understand that's very, that there are more challenges there. So anyway, I feel Mm -hmm. like we should be around for these conversations and collaborate Mm -hmm. with other professionals, but like you said, Julie, I would also feel extremely unqualified to provide some sort of conflict mediation or, and we certainly shouldn't be giving treatment for, if it's a mental health issue, for example, we are not the ones treating their anxiety or treating their behavior issues. Again, another quote unquote, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it should definitely be a team team thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Got some questions for you. Selective mutism. In our oh. scope, out of our scope. Ooh, it's so hard. Um, so I remember I had um, a girl on my caseload with selective mutism, but she also had other language things. So I kept working with her. And I, I had a really hard time with that. Um, and I remember one of my biggest takeaways from that webinar was that you should always have like a school psych involved with a kid with selective mutism. And if you're still involved, you might be like a safe person for that student that like where they feel comfortable actually using their language. But yeah, that's hard. And then I had another student I remember where his there was a speech and language concern because his kindergarten teacher was like, you know, he's he doesn't talk at all all day, but he does his work accurately, correctly, but will not will raise his hand to participate, but will not actually speak. And then His dad, so I screened this kid and his dad actually sent me a video of him at home. And this kid's language was so good, like telling stories, retelling his day at school. And he was like, you know, at home, he just doesn't stop talking at school. All he does is talk. And I screened him and um, he did fine on any of the tasks that required pointing, but not speaking. And receptively, he showed some good skills, but then I was like, oh, I don't think this is a me thing because I have this evidence that he has language skills I want him to have or would expect him to have as a kindergartner. He's just not speaking in school. So I was like, I don't think this is in my scope to do to so like, you know, help him out. So yeah, that's, I think selective mutism is really hard. I don't know. (laughs) It's really tricky. Yeah, I always thought of it as, you know, it's for psych, it's for social worker, school counselor, whoever, that's Mm -hmm. your situation. You know, I'm not 
I, I don't need to be a part of it other than providing visuals or like a core board mm-hmm. or something that might help them um, throughout the day. You know, I can be in consult with that if you want that. Um, but I went to like a seven hour professional development on mm-hmm. selective mutism and how SLPs can actually work on selective mutism and like treating it mm-hmm. like a phonation disorder almost and taking oh. it step by step. Um, and I can talk about this another time. I'll review my notes and I can talk about it more because it's really interesting. And it was like this really intricate process of teaching the child how to phonate on command. Cause that's hmm. like the issue is they're just, they're stuck. Um, and you know, starting with like little things, just like, mm, and working your way up. And he said, this is very much in the SLPs hmm. scope of practice because we're the specialists on like how you can learn to phonate kind of, I don't know. Hmm. It, it was really interesting. Um, Hmm. so I'll review my notes and come back at another time with more detail. If you guys want to know. Yeah. I'd never thought of it that way. And I remember, I feel like I remember in grad school, I don't remember. Oh, actually, I don't remember if it was grad or undergrad. Um, but I remember learning about selective mutism as like a mental health, like from a mental health lens almost, that like that's kind of how it was presented like you need to be working with some mental health professional because it is like that is the nature of selective mutism so well I don't yeah, know that's... I don't know <laughs> I've encountered a few kids who have had selective mutism and Every time I feel stuck, I can see the argument either way. I feel like we Mm -hmm. do have really valuable skills that could help kids. um, Like, I don't want to say learned talk, but kind of what you're describing, Kyla. Like, we understand how talking happens and how speaking happens Mm -hmm. and how to communicate. So I feel like we do have really valuable skills that could help kids do that. But... It also goes back to that question of what is the root of the issue? And if the root of the issue is um, anxiety or a mental mm-hmm. health disorder, then mm-hmm. I feel like we shouldn't be the ones treating. So I don't know. In, in all of these cases, I've kind of taken, I was at different schools for different ones and I've taken different approaches depending on what the team thought and the resources that were available, but I think I defaulted to more of a consult. So maybe I'd check in on the mm. kid every once in a while, talk to the teacher a lot, talk to the parents sometimes even and give them strategies. But I did not go through some sort of systematic hierarchy of phonating and then producing mm-hmm. words or something like that. Mm. Reading and writing. In our scope, out of our scope. Briefly, Brittany. (laughs) (laughs) Get ready, strap in. Where should we start? Okay, be short, Brittany. Yes, I think it should be in our scope of practice. Um, However, I think it is a specialty. I'll say it that way. 
Hmm. So I don't think every SLP should be expected to be an expert in the science of reading or whatever. But I I do think that it is within our scope of practice because written communication is communication and language plays such an integral role in how you access written text and how you produce written text. So I feel like it sh- it should be slash it is in our scope of practice. Now that being said, it doesn't mean that we should be <clears throat> hired as reading tutors at a school, for example, with an SLP degree. There is a distinction there. Mm-hmm. But I think it is. How do you two feel? Yeah. Do you disagree? I think, no, I... I agree. I think there are, okay, so this is how I see it. You know, the reading rope, the Scarborough's reading rope. Um, Oh, yeah. So when you're looking at all the components. Are you going to say the comprehension strands are us and the more phonic stuff is teachers? uh yes and no but I do think yes the comprehension is stuff but I do think also the phonological awareness part of it can be us so um I think we can help with the kinetic and sensory cues that can help kids with reading based disabilities learn sounds and letters like, for example, like the LIPS program, that's all, a lot of the LIPS is tying those articulatory cues to the sound, to the letter, to help reinforce, reinforce reading that way. Um, so I think we can help with that. Uh, but you're right. I think there are other parts of reading and writing that we would need a a reading tutor or a literacy specialist to help with, for example, I don't think we're necessarily, we should have the sole responsibility of teaching the spelling rules in English. Um, I think we would need help with that. I don't know. I, I see your point. And I feel like there mm-hmm. are definitely parts of reading and writing that I would feel more comfortable leading to, leaving to the teacher, for example, reading mm-hmm. fluency too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like just practicing that automaticity. Right. Um, That's a good one. But I also think we are really well equipped to learn spelling rules and learn how to work mm-hmm. on things like reading fluency because of everything we know about the English language and how sounds are put together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not saying we but, should be like writing IEP goals for them, but I yeah. do feel like I I see it fitting in well. And then with writing too, I feel like there's, it would also, we'd be well equipped to help with that. So mm-hmm. I just I get excited about this stuff. So of course I want to help with mm-hmm. it. Um, but I agree that these kind of fringe, I see them as fringe because they're more fringe for SLPs. They're not fringe for people who work on reading and writing skills a hundred percent of the time, but things like reading mm-hmm. fluency, writing mechanics, um, all of the spelling world rules, like syllable structure. I agree that that wouldn't be a speech and language goal, but it would still be mm-hmm. fun to help with. So to me, it, it seems like you know. in theory, yes, we can do this in practice. 
it depends on the SLP and their training and their job position and their mm-hmm. availability to work on these skills. I think that's a good way to say it. Um, here's another one that reminds me of reading and writing in a lot of ways is mm-hmm. executive functions. Oh, that one's hard too. Like, I think it's hard in terms of same, like what's our scope and then what are we just really equipped to help with and support? Again, we went to a professional development so many years ago with Sarah Ward, Ward, the executive functioning queen. And she Mm -hmm. explained it so beautifully about how we are the perfect people Mm -hmm. to work on these skills. And yet I will not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, because that's the, you know, I think the connection there is that your executive function is assessed and used for language tasks in a lot of ways. Or we use a ton of overlap. You know, there's so much. If you think about, you know, a kid that, organizes their binder you know if you give them a piece of paper and you want them to organize it in the right section they have to have language categorization skills in order to put that paper in the right place in their binder but that's like executive function and language you have to you have to have both you can't it's so hard to parse that out yeah I feel like it's actually very similar to the reading and writing conversation we're just having because parts of executive function that are very verbally mediated or language mediated, Mm -hmm. I feel like it really makes sense for us to help them with, um, for example, like self-talk for thinking through Mm -hmm. how to plan or organize something Mm -hmm. or like your your binder example, understanding the language, the semantic categories that will help them organize something. Mm -hmm. But then like, you know, attention skills, Oh, that's so hard. I, I don't know. I think of working memory too, because it's such an integral part of using language is holding on to what people are saying in a meaningful mm-hmm. way, getting, you know, same with when you're talking, you have to keep track of what you have already said, what would still need to be said. There's so much working mm-hmm. memory load involved in language Um, but as far as I know, there isn't great evidence for trying to work directly on working Mm -hmm. memory skills. It's helpful to know if it's difficult for that child. So Mm -hmm. you can use strategies to support it though. So this goes into what do we treat directly? You can Mm -hmm. treat language directly versus what do we support with strategies while we work in the language skills. You can support a child's working Mm -hmm. memory by, you know, using visuals, having a similar routine, lots of repetition, all of that kind of stuff. So I feel like this relates to our scope of practice because we are well-equipped to support many things. Mm -hmm. Does that mean it's in our scope of practice or not? Mm -hmm. I have another question sensory okay. stuff Maltese, ah. occupational therapist but but a lot of SLPs the big like but the big but the big but the big but again putting the language to the self-awareness and sensory 
I think that's a perfect time to co-treat or talk to your OT about ways that yeah. they can include language in the sensory. And mm. I think we can include sensory in our sessions, mm -hmm. but I don't think like regulation through oh, sensory yeah. is in our yeah. scope. I feel like a lot, not maybe not a lot, but I have at least through social media seen more than several, like many SLPs who usually who work with non-speaking clients incorporate often autistic clients incorporate sensory strategies as a big part of how they um work on communication skills mm -hmm. and i feel like it become there are, there are a few concerns i have with that one is that i don't know if we have great evidence for some of these sensory strategies i think mm -hmm. um that's a tricky part and it's probably very individualized what makes a, a child you know feel more regulated or not yeah so it definitely is related to some of those things um so yeah i'm not like ready to burn every weighted blanket out there but i feel like mm -hmm. you know there's I feel like that is the concern, even within mm -hmm. the field of OT, you know, what sensory strategies do we have evidence for and how to use them mm -hmm. and, and all that. I think it's very nuanced and it's, that's certainly not in our scope of practice. Um, mm -hmm. But if a child, if an SLP is trying to figure out how to get a child to communicate and the child is very dysregulated very often. And so most mm -hmm. of the sessions maybe end up being figuring out how to regulate the child. I feel like this is where it's, it becomes that gray area where you need to be regulated often to communicate or mm -hmm. to learn a new skill. You know, your brain can't be in fight or flight. But, and I never want to say a kid isn't ready for speech therapy ever. Mm. I feel like that's, that can be really a really harmful perspective. Um, but it's also tough because sometimes that means we end up doing these things that are maybe not in mm. our area of, of knowledge and what we've been trained to do for mm. the sake of trying to get the child to a point where they can communicate. And then if it is all for the purpose of communication, and maybe you're modeling, you know, you're still doing mm -hmm. the SLP stuff. I don't know. Like, it, eh, I don't know. I, this is everything. Should everything just be a co-treat always? I don't know. Well, hold on. I think there's something there that isn't this why it's so important to use holistic, multidisciplinary team practices wherever you're working. And it like, if you're you know, if you're a private practice SLP um, and, you know, you don't have those disciplines right there, I think it's worth to worthwhile to build a network of of other professionals and other disciplines to consult with them or, you know, so you have people to refer to that you know and trust. Um, but I think, you know, 
I think that's why we do have a scope of practice because we're not supposed to handle everything. Um, okay. So yeah, always coachy slash. Yes, but already I'm going to throw kind of a curveball at you. I'm looking at okay. Asha's policy on our service delivery areas. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a long list. And it even says here, this list of practice areas and the bulleted examples are not comprehensive. So this doesn't even refer to But everything. what's the point then? <laughs> but are you, but no, but are you ready? Because it yeah. includes some stuff we've been questioning. So for cognition, yeah. it includes yeah. attention, memory, problem solving, executive functioning. Mm. Boom. Very clear. There it is. Mm. So I feel like with this is maybe more um for like outpatient mm-hmm. adult p- practice that would be very very common mm-hmm. whereas for us it's like it seems muddier um mm-hmm. for language it says spoken and written language and literacy reading writing spelling is right there on this list Whoa. um there's tons of stuff here so mm. so on that list huge. i counted 34 things that we need to be specialists in. No, uh-huh. I don't know how to do most of these things. <laughs> it's worth noting that what we're knowledgeable on, what we know about, isn't always within our scope of practice. Like we can see, look at those as two different things. What are your takeaways, Kyla? Here are my takeaways. I'm confused. <laughs> we're doing fine. We're all okay. (laughs) We're fine. What we're working on is fine. We don't have to. It's it's okay. Okay. That's number one. (laughs) Number two is when in doubt, co-treat, consult, indirect, talk to the professionals around you. Put your minds together. We all know a lot of things. We can figure stuff out together. Number three, there's a lot of room to specialize. Mm, If mm. you're interested in a particular area that mm, kind of in our scope, kind of not, I don't know. There's so much room to specialize and then, you know, get the big bucks in your own business. Do your Mm -hmm. thing, but don't worry about it. Then you... Once you specialize, you become a boss gorly and you go on your hot gorly walks and make mad money with your with, with your leggings. hot gorly walk leggings. Once yeah. you specialize, you are automatically able to go on hot girl walks. Honestly, yeah. whenever you want. That's your when business. they become real. Yeah. That's so yeah, true. And any gender, any gender can go on a hot girl oh, walk. Oh yeah. Hot girl walk is yeah. a gender. Mm-hmm. 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 Very, very well said, Kyla. I like those takeaways. Yeah. You brought us back down to earth. Yeah. Yeah, I almost just quit my job and <laughs> went back to school <laughs> after this conversation. This is like, what a PhD is I? training. Yeah. A PhD school is like, oh, you thought you know something? We're going to talk for two hours in this class about how you don't know this thing and nothing actually exists. So there you go. Getting a PhD is my nightmare. It sounds like (laughs) it's like a five-year-long existential crisis. It is. Yep. Yes. (laughs) 
does anyone want another espresso to go? Oh yes, tell us one. A tell little me. espresso to go. So, you know, I'm really feeling the sriracha shortage. So there is a sriracha shortage in the world. You got to watch out for price gouging and use alternate sriracha brands and all so these depressing. brands are coming out of all these companies are coming out of whatever crevice they of the hot sauce world they were living in before and deciding they know how to make their sriracha and it's not the same anyway i'm just really feeling it this week so if you think you're going crazy and you're like what sriracha was never 48 dollars it's not in the inflation it is the shortage that's wild. Um, I thought it was me yeah. in my head going to multiple <laughs> stores and not being able to find it. And I was mm-hmm. like, hmm, maybe I'm just not looking in the right spot. They changed around my grocery store recently and I've gone to several mm-hmm. different stores and I was literally gaslighting myself being like, it's <laughs> me. Say, did you get sriracha gaslighting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not being your, your reality is that there is a sriracha shortage. It's not you. Anyway, that's our, that's my espresso to go. I'm desperately trying to think of a sriracha pun, but I can't do it. Sriracha? I hardly know her. <laughs> you God, are a comedic genius. You're a comedic genius. Oh my God. <laughs> The views and information expressed on coffee, tea, and three SLPs are solely host and guest opinions are based on clinical experiences. This is for entertainment purposes only.